0: Hey, now we're ready to roll. Hey, it's great to see everybody today. I have to start off by saying, though, it's a little disappointing. Uh, a bit of a shame. We were going to surprise you this morning and have the first ever Christmas service outside. We thought it'd be great to do that out on the lawn this morning and you know, just really celebrate Christmas on this great December day, but uh, the weather wasn't quite cooperative, so maybe we'll try that again next year, but I'm sure all of you appreciate being inside. But uh, Merry Christmas uh, to every one of you. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis Church, and uh, very grateful to be here for our first Christmas, me and my family here in Noblesville. Uh, we joined uh, the staff of Genesis. Church back in September, and uh, my wife and I, we have three little kids. Uh, Joel's five years old, Luke is three, and Kate is about five and a half, almost six months now, and for some reason, there was about an hour and a half time span in the middle of the night where she didn't feel like sleeping uh, for whatever reason, but uh, we're up and moving today thanks to coffee and good stuff like that, Uh, but we're glad you're here today, Uh, especially if you're a guest, maybe you came uh, with some friends or your family here from out of town, uh, we want to welcome you here to Genesis with us. We're really excited. About what God's doing in this church, in this community, and we just want you to know that we are extending an invitation uh, for you to come back and join us any week uh, with some of the great things that God's doing here in this place. And we look forward to telling you more about that. If we can serve you in any way, please let us know. Uh, we've got volunteers back at the Info Hub, we'll be available afterwards. Uh, I'd love to meet you and talk a little bit more about your life and uh, what's going on in Genesis. As you saw from the video and as we talked about a little bit earlier, we've been in this teaching series that we've called Advent Conspiracy. And we've been talking about what it means to get Christmas right, uh, to make sure that we're on focus and that we get Christmas right. Because you see, if you're not careful, it's easy to get fooled by Christmas. It's, uh, it's easy to get fooled by Christmas. And where would we be if we didn't have Will Ferrell uh, this Christmas season? But it is, it's easy to get fooled by Christmas. We get, we get tricked into believing that Christmas is is about other things. It's about stuff. And, and our spending proves that to be true. Starbucks put out this little flyer this year, uh, just simply entitled Good, and this issue was about the holiday economy. And they report some statistics about how Americans spend their money during the Christmas season. Uh, they report that this past year, uh, Americans spent $475 billion on Christmas. Uh, of that $475 billion, $9.3 billion was spent on jewelry, on bling-bling. Uh, $5.8 billion was spent on toys, uh, games, and different kinds of hobbies. $20 billion alone was spent on postage, you know, just mailing out those Christmas cards to your friends and your family. $19 billion spent on computers and video games. billion spent on gift cards. $700 million alone spent on scented candles. All right? Some some other things. Add to this. Americans will purchase 30 to 35 million Christmas trees this year. 67 million turkeys will be eaten between Thanksgiving and Christmas combined. And this year, Americans will consume 131 million pounds of eggnog. Which I can say that I will not consume a drop of the nasty stuff. All right, and I don't know who likes eggnog, anyways. I think Ben Krauss does, and maybe two other people in the room. anybody like eggnog? We have any? A- oh, plenty of eggnog representatives in the house. Well, some of you, uh, some of us, maybe like spending money on Christmas. Others, uh, it can be very stressful. You know, you've got shopping lists and all the people to buy for, and you're buying out of maybe habit. You're buying for some people out of obligation. You're straining your brain trying to figure out what in the world to get Uncle Louie this year, even though Uncle Louie has everything that he could possibly need. But with the economy the way it is and, and with all the credit card debt, Christmas is driving you crazy. You know, because you know that by the time you get through this season, you're going to have that much more debt and trying to pay for it all is going to be a challenge in and of itself. And so it's easy to get fooled into believing that Christmas is all about stuff. Well, traffic is a mess, is crazy during holidays. It started a few weeks before Thanksgiving and we've still got a few weeks of it left. It's easy to get fooled into believing that Christmas is about traffic jams and delays. Or, you know, Christmas means getting together with family. And for some of you, this is a great thing. It's something that you get excited about. You get excited about traveling to mom and dads or to grandma and grandpas and the tradition that comes with that. For some of this may be a great thing, but for others, it might be the last thing that you want to do, you know, because of some of the things that have happened in the past. And you've done everything you can to get as far away from your family as possible, but you do it for your kids and you were hurt. And you have no desire to face some of the members of your family. And so we get fooled into thinking that Christmas is is just about family and maybe bad memories. And we all know that Christmas can be a lonely time too. You know, maybe it's been for you in the past or maybe you know someone that's going through a lonely time. Maybe you lost a loved one this year. You know, this will be the first Christmas that that special someone won't be there with you in your life. Depression becomes a big deal during Christmas, during the holidays. The suicide rate goes up. And as families get together, you start to understand more and more how alone you feel. You know, there's this place of emptiness in your life, and you want to see it met. And so we get fooled into believing that Christmas is about loneliness, it's about painful memories, it's about not wanting to look to the past. But it's unfortunate that this is what christmas has become for us that it's become stuff and it's become about Retail sales and credit card debt and traffic jams and frustration and loneliness And you know this season becomes so stressful that like our main goal is to just try and survive it to get through It's like christmas is nothing more than a hurdle that we've got to get through in order to get to the start of another year You know if we can just get through one more week then we can start all over we can start fresh It's another year ahead of us The question that I want to ask this morning is, is this what we want? I mean, is that what you want Christmas to be for you, for your family, for your life? You know, because I think we've been fooled into believing that Christmas is all about stress. It's all about stuff. It's all about loneliness. And as followers of Jesus, we know that it's more than that. I mean, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you know that it's more than that. You know it's about Jesus, and and it's about celebrating his birth, but but we fall into the trap too. We get caught up into the scheme and the race, and and we forget really what the point of the season is. We lose sight of the real point of Jesus, uh, of the season. We've taken our focus off of Jesus. I've noticed that there's a church here in town, in Noblesville, with a nativity scene out front, and up until last Thursday, they still had not put out the baby Jesus, You know, Mary and Joseph were there, and even some of the critters, but no Jesus yet. Now, maybe they're waiting because they don't want the baby Jesus to be stolen, or maybe it's going out today, or maybe it's going out on on Christmas morning or something. But I couldn't help but think I wonder how many of you, even three, four days out from Christmas, still haven't allowed Jesus to be a part of your story yet, to be a part of your month, to be a part of this season for you. Have you taken the time to make Jesus Christ the focus of your Christmas? Well, Matthew, the gospel writer Matthew, and you can turn there if you'd like, wanted to be sure that his readers would know and understand that Christmas is all about Jesus. That the whole point of Christmas, the reason that we celebrate Christmas is the birth of Christ. And more importantly, he wants us to understand who this baby is in the manger. And so in Matthew chapter one, Looking at verse 21, a couple of verses here, Matthew gives us some words to remind us of who this baby is, this person in the manger. He writes in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Now, don't be fooled by the baby here. Matthew makes it very clear that there are two things he wants us to see in this child, First, that this child will be called Jesus. Now, names were very important during biblical times, even more so today. A name spoke of who you were, the family that you came from. It it talked about your purpose in life or the mission that was before you. And this child, this baby that Matthew is describing is Jesus. It means Jehovah saves. Jesus came to the world to save people from their sins. But Matthew also wants us to know that he will be called Emmanuel, a Hebrew word meaning God with us. Christmas is all about Jesus. It's the story of his birth. It's the story of promise, of of hope, and of love, a love that is still changing the world today. But if that's the truth, then what happened? I mean, if that's the point of everything that we do, then what happened? What happened to the message? Who stole it away? I mean, what was once a time to celebrate the birth of a Savior has turned into long lines at customer service and bad Christmas songs on the radio. Is this what we want Christmas to be about? But what if it could be different? I mean, what if you and I decided that it could be different beginning with us? That we would take the personal responsibility in our own lives of making sure that the reason we celebrate Christmas is to remember the birth of Jesus Christ. And what if Christmas could become a life-transforming or world-changing event again as we turned our focus back to the birth of Jesus and made this season all about Him? It's about celebrating His birth. And I don't think it's too late. Even a few days from christmas Well, it's one thing to say it To say that we're going to do it But it's another thing to believe it in our heart And if we want to get our focus on jesus We really have to believe in our hearts that it is about him and who he is jesus Emmanuel and so I thought it might be an appropriate question for us in this time that we have A question just one question to answer this morning and that's it's just simply this who's jesus Jesus Who's Jesus and what does it mean for me and why should that change the way that I look at this season? And whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, I really believe the answers to these questions can help us all. And so when I was thinking about, thinking of Jesus, and, and when I examined all of the events that surround his birth, I just came up with a couple of things. And the first thing that I thought of is this, that, that our God, Jesus Christ, is humble. That our God, Jesus Christ, is humble. Now, humble is not a very sexy word. Uh, it's not a very sexy word. And when I think of humble, uh, I often think of the word weak. You know, it's one of the first thoughts that comes to my mind when we don't live in a very humble, friendly kind of a world. But the, the events of Christmas clearly point to a humble God. You know, Jesus, he did not enter into the world with, with trumpets or, or by fire. He didn't come with a parade. There, were no, there was no paparazzi. Instead, as one author wrote, he shrank down so small as to become an ovum a single fertilized egg barely visible to the naked eye, an egg that would divide and redivide until a fetus took shape, enlarging cell by cell inside of a nervous teenager. You know, Jesus Christ, he entered the world into the, in the glory of, of humility. The God who created the world, who had the power to order nature, who had the power to move armies around like chess pieces, emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak, Eat solid food or keep his diaper dry. He depended on a teenager for shelter, for food, and for love. I mean, this in no way is the appropriate arrival of a king. On a recent trip to the United States, Queen Elizabeth arrived with the following items in her possession 4,000 pounds of luggage. Now you think your old suitcase is heavy, all right, try this. Or you think your wife packs too much. 4,000 pounds of luggage, two outfits for every occasion, 40 pints of her own plasma, white kid leather toilet seat covers, her own personal hairdresser, two valets and other personal attendants. The total estimated cost of her trip to America was $20 million. Now, in contrast, God's visit to earth began in an animal shelter with no attendant present and nowhere at all to lay the baby but a feeding trough. And I like what Philip Yancey says. He said, indeed, the event that divided history and even our calendars into two parts may have had more animal than human witnesses. But why? Why choose the path? Well, Jesus entered the world as a slave to poverty. He chose an unknown birthplace in a very remote location. And he was born to a rural teenage girl. All to come to save us. And think about it for a second. I mean, if he had been born to a high-ranking public figure or been born to a celebrity, doubters would have said that the world had been transformed by wealth. Or suppose he had chosen Rome over Bethlehem been born right in the middle of it all the center of it all the doubters would have said that his transformation had been brought about by the power uh, of wealth or or just suppose he he had uh, he had chosen to be born to a a high-ranking public figure Uh, doubters would have said that uh, he had been transformed by the world had been transformed by popularity or if he had been born to the emperor people would have spoke about his rightful power instead what did he do He chose the way of the poor and the simple. He went with the ordinary. He humbled himself and snuck into the world for only a few to see. And he did all of this so that people would know that it was God and God alone that changed everything. Not power, not wealth, not government, but God, that God had changed everything. Here's what else we see. That not only is our God, not only is Jesus Christ humble, but I think we see that he is approachable. That Jesus is approachable. That Jesus changed the way that human beings approached God. Today, if you're a Hindu, if you're a practicing or a devout Hindu, you go to the temple and you offer sacrifices to the gods. If you're a devout Muslim, you bow down so low to the ground that your forehead touches the ground. And in most religious traditions, fear is the primary emotion that people experience when they think about God. Well, Jews associated fear with worship too. I mean, think about it. The burning bush for Moses was a very frightful sight. Uh, the, uh, the hot go- coals that touched Isaiah's lips, Paul was struck by a bright light that blinded him on the road to Damascus. Jewish children were taught of this sacred mountain in the desert that if you touched the mountain, you would die that if the Ark of the Covenant was mishandled, you would die. If you entered the Holy of Holies, you would not enter or exit it alive, that you would die. Reading the Old Testament, you know, it's not hard to get a little spooked out by the thought of God. But Jesus changed that for everyone. When Jesus came, he changed that for us all. Because he was born, because he lived and died, you and I can approach God. We can have a relationship with him. Hebrews chapter 4 Verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's, what, that's why it is so important for you and I to make Jesus the focus of our Christmas because of what he did. This is what he did for us. He came to this earth and he lived and he died so that we can have a personal relationship with him. And as we hold to verses like this one, we're reminded that we can have uh, a relationship with God and we can go before God with confidence. We can go before God with confidence because of what Jesus Christ has done. He has paved the way. He has built the bridge. And we can have the faith and the confidence to to stand face to face uh, with God in front of the people who hurt us. That we can stand with God and that he will help us face these people, you know, even when we've been hurt. That he can help us get through our rough financial time or through our our tough and frightening season. That he will go with us when we feel alone. And if you've never put your, your trust in Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life to him, this verse reminds you, it reminds us that God is a God of grace. That he sent Jesus Christ to this earth on your behalf, and that he wants to have a relationship with you. And finally, there's at least one more thing that I think we can see in Jesus. And that is that Jesus favors the underdog. I know that sounds kind of silly, but that Jesus favors the underdog. If you're a sports lover, you know what that means, uh, to root for the underdog. We love rooting for the underdog unless they're playing your team, you know. And then you just want your team to destroy them. But it's what has made teams like Gonzaga and Butler very popular in basketball. This idea of being the underdog and defeating, you know, the great giants. People like rooting for the underdog. And the world that we live in is tilted towards the rich. It leans towards the powerful and the successful. You know, the most popular are the ones who are elevated. The prideful always seem to get ahead. But Jesus is tilted towards the underdog. He proved this in his life. He proved this in that he's gracious to the guilty. He came upon this woman in the Bible who was caught, as the Bible said, up in adultery. She had been found out. And there were these group of men that had discovered that she had been caught in this adulterous relationship and they had picked up rocks off of the ground as it was appropriate during that time and were preparing to stone her until Jesus came upon the scene. And you might remember his words when he said, Let he who has no sin be the first one to throw the first rock. And he forgave her and he set her free. He also proved that he's gracious to the cheaters. Zacchaeus was a man who practiced horrible business business ethics. Uh, His job allowed, it was appropriate for him in his position to cheat people out of money. And because of that, he was hated. He was despised. He had no friends at all until he met Jesus. And Jesus, as the Bible said, was willing to go to his house and to eat with him, which was totally inappropriate during those days. But Jesus was willing to be a friend and to forgive even the cheater. We see that in he's gracious to the hurting. There was a man who was mourning the loss of his daughter how difficult that must have been for him and in this hope uh, in this desperation he ran to Jesus a man that he knew very little about and only had heard so much asking Jesus to help him and Jesus having great mercy and a great amount of grace in him on him in this particular moment sent him back home with the words you can go back to your house because your daughter's been made well She's been given life again. And that may seem like a really long time ago. It might even seem irrelevant to you. But can I just be the one to say to you today that Jesus still favors the underdog? That he's still willing to get involved? That he's ready to love those who are dealing with a great amount of guilt in their life right now from decisions that have been made in the past or maybe in the present? That he's ready to love and forgive those who have cheated others. That he's ready to reach out to those who have experienced some sort of loss in their life. And and he wants to be there and he wants to enter into those situations. He wants to come into your situation right now and be that friend to you and be that grace giver and be that person of mercy and allow you to experience that forgiveness and to experience his love and to feel that sense of renewal in knowing that he's present. He lived that way. It's why he came. I mean, Jesus didn't just come for the people then. He's come for us today so that we can experience his love and his support. And his greatest mission of all was that he came to die. It was his sole mission. It was his sole purpose. And with his death on the cross, Jesus stepped in to pay the price of sin for all who would let him. He stepped in to give his life on the cross for all that would let him, not only for those people then, but he, he still does it for us today if we're willing to let him do that. And he's ready to take your place so that you can have that same life too. It's his greatest act of love. His love looks something like this. On a trip to Poland this past year, I had a chance to hear the story of a priest, a priest by the name of Father Maximilian Kolb. And Father Maximilian Kolb was a Polish priest who died as Prisoner 16670 in Auschwitz on August 14th, 1941. A prisoner had escaped from Auschwitz, this Nazi-run camp, and as was the rule, if one prisoner escaped in Auschwitz, 10 people were randomly chosen from the crowd and sent to the starvation chamber uh, for a punishment of death. They were sent to Block Building 13. And one of the men selected to die on this particular day was a man by the name of Fran- or Franciszek. And as he was detained, as he was randomly selected from the crowd, uh, uh, stories, accounts say that he began to weep and to wail so loudly, saying things like, who in the world is going to take care of my children? Who's going to take care of my wife? Who's going to remind them that I love them? Who's going to be there for them? As he was being detained and as he was being drug away, there was an innocent man who was standing in the crowd who stepped forward at that moment. His name was Father Maximilian Kolb. And he stepped out of line and he stepped before one of the Nazi soldiers and he said, I want to do something. I want to take that man's place. And they led him. And at that moment, this Franciszek was taken and he was put back in the crowd with everyone else. And Father Maximilian Kolb and nine other men were led off to the starvation chamber where they eventually gave their life for what had happened. What Father Kolb did, I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ has done for you Because of sin, we have all been sentenced to death. But Jesus came and he gave his life so that we wouldn't have to. He came to take our place. He came to take your place, if you'll let him. And so don't be fooled by Christmas. If you let it, it will race on by and you'll end up with a headache, a few new sweaters and nothing but a calendar year just passed by. I want to challenge you. In fact, I beg you to make Jesus Christ the focus of your Christmas this year and celebrate his birth and his life and what that means to you. And don't be fooled by the baby in the manger either. He's not a mystical figure. He's real. He's not an unforgiving, ticked-off deity. He's gracious and he's loving. And he came to give his life for you. He's ready to forgive you and he will take your place if you'll let him. But you have to make that decision. Will you pray with me? Our God in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that you sent him into the world on our behalf so that we can have life. And Lord, I know that uh, I'm just as guilty as anyone and I can get caught up into the flow of of Christmas and the gifts and the stuff and the stress. And I can even look ahead and, and just look to another year and it's just like Christmas is this big hurdle and if we can just get through it, we can get back to a normal way of life. Oh, but I just ask your for forgiveness this morning for my own life, Lord. That I might be reminded, Father, that this, this uh, doesn't have to be normal. I, I don't have to see Christmas as just another time of, of gift-giving, uh, but, but I can see it for what it truly is, and that is it's Jesus. It's his birth. It's his life. It's his death. and It's his resurrection. And I thank you and I give you praise this morning, Father, for your son, that he stepped out and he took my place. He gave his life so that I can have life. And I just pray that that would be the message, that that would be the news that each person who's here today would leave with here this morning. That Jesus Christ has come, that he has given life to each and every one of us, if we'll just take it. And so I lift up my friends to you right now, Lord, who may be struggling with that reality of even believing it's true. God, would you invade their personal space right now and remind them that it is true, that it can be believed, and that it does change everything. God, let this be a great season to celebrate the birth of your son, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And may it change everything.